Welcome to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me, as this week we finish up the book of Jeremiah and we read the book of Lamentations. Now, remember, the Amateur Church Podcast is a call for anyone who is tired of church being a programmed organization. See, I want to be an amateur, at least in the sense that that word means that I love what I do and how I lead, preach, and serve is based on my love for Jesus Christ and for others. And this is not a push to become lazy or unskilled in abilities, but in fact, I believe that when churches get back to being amateurs, loving what we do because we love Christ, we will actually see a greater excellence in our lifestyles. So thank you for joining me in rejecting a professional Christianity that seeks my own glory and rediscovering a passion for Christ and His church. So starting today uh, of this week, we look at theology based on the passages that we're reading. And so we're finishing up the book of Jeremiah, reading the book of Lamentations, and we want to focus on uh, theology. What can we learn about God ourselves and our relationship with God in Jesus Christ uh, from the text. So let me remind you a little bit of last week with Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah, the name means the Lord appoints or calls. And so we saw that Jeremiah was appointed by God, called by God to go and to preach to the nations, specifically Judah, as they're headed into captivity in Babylon, uh, to the surrounding nations uh, that uh, towards the end of the book, that's what we'll, we'll focus on uh, this week, uh, the, uh, the, the pagan nations around them, and the promise that uh, God was going to send his own people into captivity, but he would provide a new covenant, specifically chapter 31, 31 through 34, uh, for the people. And uh, theologically, we want to see that that new covenant, uh, and you can just write this down or put this as, uh, you know, out beside that passage, but that new covenant offered three main aspects. First, the new covenant provided peace. He said, I will put the law in their mind and on their heart. How do God and man uh, walk together in peace, not war, uh, not enmity? Well, Jesus Christ had to come and die, be buried, and rise again so that the gospel might make us one. The Old Testament book of Leviticus calls it atonement, putting two at one, and there was a covering provided so that God could be with man. Well, that's what the new covenant is about. Uh, so God allows a peace between him and his people. And so so we also see the new covenant provides possession. Uh, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Now this, this is a, uh, an amazing statement that God makes. He says, look, I pulled you out of uh, Egypt. I brought you out and now you're going into captivity in Babylon. I'm going to bring you out. And when you come out, you will be my people. I will be your God and there will never again be separation. So we see peace leading to possession, but we also see purity. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and forget their sin. Think about it. For 490 years, just about, God had remembered their sin. In fact, he said, the land has not laid fallow 
and you're going to be punished for this. There was a continual reminder of their sin, even with the offerings and sacrifices made, uh, that, that was a reminder that they were sinners. In Jesus Christ, God has forgiven our iniquity, forgotten our sin, and we are now seated in heavenly places. So with that new covenant of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see a peace, possession, and purity that had never been there uh, before. And this this is spoken of in Jeremiah. We see that hope in the midst of uh, sorrow. And the sorrow actually continues in the very next book. We're going to read this week the book of Lamentations. Only five chapters, but so uh, graphic, so hard, and uh, uh, tumultuous, uh, very tragic uh, book. There are five chapters that um, written in a poetic sense, uh, but literally uh, the the word lamentation means funeral poems or death messages. So this isn't really a book that we want to study or want to, uh, to spend our time in, and yet it's a book we need to read and we need to understand. So the author of the book most likely is Jeremiah. He, uh, he, he picks right up with where Israel has gone in, or Judah has gone into captivity. Picks right up where he left off at, at the end of Jeremiah. And it is a horrible time. The uh, context, the time of, the, uh, of this is 586 to 585 B.C., the first couple of years. Uh, and Jerusalem and the temple have fallen. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, How lonely sits the city. That was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. Listen to verse 2. She weeps bitterly in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her. Among all her lovers, all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. So we see that Babylon has captured the people. Even when you go all the way to chapter 4, you get a better description. Verse 9 um, says, Better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger. For they pine away being stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. They became food for them because of the destruction of the daughter of my people." Uh, so I, I want you to remember, as we've uh, seen in the book of uh, Jeremiah, the promises that would take place now fulfilled in Lamentations. This would be a terrible, horrible time. Uh, in fact, we see the, the, the purpose of this was to accomplish the wrath of God. Now, God is not the cause of this sin, but God is the one whose wrath is, is being avenged. He is allowing them to have exactly what they wanted. They rejected God. In chapter 1, we saw this uh, of Lamentations. They rejected God and went after many lovers. And now the lovers, these pagan nations, have overthrown Judah, taken them captive. And God says, you wanted them, now you get them. You wanted to... to to uh, commit idolatry, immorality, spiritual adultery, and go after these foreign powers and have these kings, then you get them, and you will suffer because of it. So Babylon captured the people. Uh, and even in chapter 5, we see that they uh, they viewed God as, as being silent. Um, you, O Lord, verse 19 of chapter 5, 
rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. And so there's even a prayer where they cry out in repentance, God, remember us. So this is a terrible time. in, in these five chapters. Uh, also, one thing I do want to bring up before I get into the theological truths is uh, the way Lamentations is written, it's actually written as an acrostic. Remember, five chapters. Uh, in each chapter, uh, there are 22 verses. Chapter 1, 2, 4, and 5. 22 verses. And there are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first letter of each verse corresponds to the Hebrew alphabet. If you remember Psalm 119, it, sim- it did the exact same thing. Uh, the, the first um, letter of each section in Psalm 119, eight, uh, 22 sections, 8 verses each, uh, corresponded to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Well, this is true. Uh, 22 verses in chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5. Well, then uh, in chapter 3, which is the climax of the entire book, uh, there are actually 66 verses. So every three verses corresponds to each letter. An amazing poetic uh, literary uh, element of the book. Uh, But remember that in this, as, as Jeremiah is writing this, um, do not forget the purpose of this, uh, to show the, the people who had rejected God now being punished for that. But God is still merciful, and we'll see that in just a moment. Two theological truths I want to give you and just some, some kind of thoughts with those. Number one, the suffering of man is a reality. So, so understand this. We live in a society that balks at any type of discomfort or pain or suffering. And yet suffering is a reality. And we should understand where it comes from. Sin leads to suffering. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. So you get in this that, yes, God allowed this to happen, but because why? The sin or transgressions, uh, the multitude of her transgressions. Look at verse 12. Is it nothing to all of you who pass this way? Look and see if there is any pain like my pain, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. So yes, God allows this to take place because of the sin of the people. Um, again, just want to uh, you know, I want you to see the whole context of this. Chapter five, uh, verse fourteen says, "Elders are gone from the gate, young men from their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning." There is a time where suffering is needed to get someone's attention. We see the sin of the leaders, chapter 4, verse 13, because of the sin of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who have shed in her midst the blood of the righteous. Uh, God is calling out leadership. 
chapter 2, verse 14, he says the same thing. Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. But they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. The priests and prophets lied to the people. So we see the sin of the leaders. We see the sin of the people. It wasn't just the leaders. Uh, they have uh, these pastors, in a sense. These prophets uh, had... Uh, a judgment on them, but the people themselves, they didn't want to follow God. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem sinned greatly, therefore she has become an unclean thing. All who honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Even she herself groans and turns away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She did not consider her future. Therefore she has fallen astonishingly. She has no comforter. See, O Lord, my affliction, for the enemy has magnified himself. Uh, verse 18, uh, the Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his command. Hear now all peoples, and behold my pain. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priest and my elders perished in the city while they sought food to restore their strength themselves. So sin leads to suffering. And then suffering um, brings about discipline. But the discipline that God desires brings repentance. We, we desire to see God's repentance in this. Look, look at uh, or, or their repentance to God, that God would restore them because of repentance. Look at chapter 3, verse 40. Uh, it says, Let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. We lift up our hearts and hands toward God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. Uh, so in this, uh, they are crying out for the 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 mercy of God. That's that's that pardon. Uh, they're crying out, and so they say, "We have transgressed. We have messed up." Many people ask, "Why does God allow bad things? Why does God allow suffering?" Sometimes, when it's consequences that bring suffering, sometimes it's so that the people can see where they're at and turn back to God. They needed to turn to God's mercy. God will sometimes hurt and inflict pain so that uh, it is for our good, so that we can turn to him. And he uses many tools to bring discipline. Look again, chapter 4, verse 19. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the sky. They chased us on the mountains. They waited in ambush for us in the wilderness. Chapter 5 uh, shows us the, the extent that he says in verse 6, our, we have submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Uh, so he allows uh, other nations to take over them. So suffering of man is a reality because of sin and discipline and hopefully leading to repentance. But in the midst of all of this, where is hope? The sovereignty of God is our reassurance that he is in control and he is merciful. And the greatest passage in the book of Lamentations that we want to be an anchor for our hearts is chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. Listen to these words. The Lord's loving kindness or mercies indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says his soul, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation 
of the Lord. Three truths from this uh, idea of reassurance. Number one, we can know that he faithfully loves us. It says his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We know that he loves us. Second, we can know that he is sufficient for today. Uh, God is good to those who wait for them, and every day he restores uh, our, our souls. And then third, we can have hope in eternal salvation. He says, it is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Uh, God has promised, not just in lamentations, uh, to save them from captivity, but ultimately, as we saw at the very beginning, that God has given a new covenant in His Son, Jesus Christ. So as you read a really tough book, uh, the end of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations, five chapters, uh, the, the question can come, how do we see hope in this? Well, remember Jeremiah 31, that God is raising up the righteous branch, Jesus Christ, that yes, in the midst of temporary pain and suffering, there would be eternal joy and gladness because he would send his own son who would be faced with even more than these Israelites faced. Jesus Christ would take on the sin of the world, past, present, future, not just their sin, but our sin today. And in taking that sin on, he would die for us, rise again, and we could have hope eternal. And so that salvation lasts. So I want to encourage you today, whatever you're dealing with, that your prayer for this week can be, God, even in my suffering, let me see your mercies that are new every single day. And today, as you've woken up, uh, as you have uh, been, been given a new day, stop and say, thank you, God. Thank you for your mercies. And may we reflect those mercies to the world around us. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.